Hey, good morning, Christ Church. We are Christ Church, a church about lifting lives, elevating Christ, a church for those who aren't here yet. I want to say welcome once again. Welcome to those of you in the room. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Uh, we want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for choosing to spend part of your Sunday morning here with us at Christ Church. My name is Nathan Miskey. I'm one of the vicars here at Christ Church, which is just a fancy way of saying a pastor in training. It's my joy today to give you the final message in our message series on silly things that Christians say. Uh, next week, we're going to be starting a new message series all about the life of King David, the good, a little bit of the bad too, uh, but the whole journey of King David's life, some incredible stories in there. So we're going to dive in and understand really who King David was and help that to inform how we ought to live as a result. But as I mentioned, we're finishing up Silly Things Christians Say today, which is the series we've gone through in the month of May, uh, all about these silly ideas, these beliefs that we have, whether they were influenced to us and given to us by culture, by other people, maybe even by other Christians, uh, that even though we might think they're true, they're not. And the problem with believing things like these, these silly things that aren't true, is that they're bad theology, and bad theology has the potential to hurt people badly. To break down what this means, uh, theology is probably a word, if you've been around the church, you've heard tossed around a lot, but if you want to know exactly what it means, it's pretty simple. Ology just means the study of, so like biology or psychology or any of those, just the study of, and then theos, God. So the study of God. So when we talk about theology, we're talking about what we think about, what we talk about when we talk about the very nature of God. Who is God? That's theology. And so bad theology would be things that aren't true that we believe about God. And we believe those bad things, it can hurt people badly. One of the reasons this is true is that because when we find out our theology is wrong, when we find out our theology is bad, it's usually not in the good times in our life. It's usually in the bad times when we're going through trials, when we're going through pain, when we're going through hurt, right? That's when we realize that what we thought to be true about God might not be exactly true. And now we're not only dealing with the original pain that we had, but now we're having a crisis of faith too because we're trying to figure out who God is in the midst of our pain. And so that's why it's so important to get good theology, to correct these silly beliefs, to go to church, to hear the messages, to hear, to read the Bible, to see what God has to say about himself. Because that will replace our bad theology with good theology. And then when those hard times come, we can lean on our faith to help us endure the hard times. Instead of having it be an additional problem in the midst of those hard times. What's also true, though, is that we don't believe these things because they're bad, right? We don't, we don't hear these things and they aren't given because people are trying to hurt us. No, they're well-intentioned. But even good intentions, well-intentioned theology, if it's bad, can still hurt people badly. So with all of that, we come to our final silly phrase, not the last silly phrase that exists. There's way more than five, but the last one we're going to cover in this series, which is let your conscience be your guide. Let your conscience be your guide. You may have heard this phrase. Uh, Jiminy Cricket, big fan of this phrase. Uh, but if you've, 
Yeah, if, you've, uh, if you haven't heard exactly this phrase, you've probably heard phrases similar to it. Or you've probably had people tell you things similar to this, right? If, if you're doing the wrong thing, you're going you're gonna to feel it. You're going to know it's the wrong thing. Or you're going to do the right thing. Well, you're going to feel that it's the right thing. And maybe you've heard a phrase not exactly like let your conscience be your guide, but more along the lines of go with your gut. Right? You've got to trust your gut. You've got to believe those gut instincts because those gut instincts are going to lead you down the right path. And sometimes this actually is good advice, right? I think we've all been in some kind of a situation where we're taking a test or maybe playing some trivia or something, doing something where we hear a question, right? And immediately we know what the right answer is, right? We feel it in our gut, like it's B. B is the right answer, I know it. But then what do we do? We overthink it, right? We, we don't go with our gut. We overthink it and we start thinking about, well, if the, if the question really is meant to say this, well, then C kind of makes sense and we overthink it and then we end up choosing C when B was actually the right answer. And so then we should have went with our gut. And so, yes, trusting your gut can be good advice. But when decisions that matter, on these weighty decisions that carry weight, when we're deciding between what's right and wrong, what's good, what's bad, what's wise and what's unwise, unfortunately, going with your gut is not great advice. How do we know this? We know it because the Bible tells us this. Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, the first one, 1 Corinthians, says this, As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated, by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. What Paul's doing here is he's trying to determine if what he is doing in his life is the right thing to do. And so he's evaluating it, right? But he's saying, you know, it doesn't matter if you, other humans, think what I'm doing is right or not. And it doesn't even matter what I think. He doesn't even trust his own judgment on this point. Goes on to say, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. His conscience is clear. He feels it in his gut. He knows it to be true that he is doing the right thing. And yet, for Paul, that doesn't matter. Because what matters, who really determines what's right and wrong, is God. And so if his conscience is clear, but that does not put Paul completely in the clear, what that means is that God does not set our conscience. We do. You see, the, the fundamental backing behind the silly belief that, that, go, that let your conscience be your guide, the fundamental backing behind that is that God is the one speaking to you through your conscience. But he's not. At least not always. I'm not saying God can't speak to you through your conscience. He certainly can. God can give you those bad feelings when you're going down the wrong path. He certainly can. But it's still you who set your own conscience. And you probably know this to be true, right? Because there's probably been times in your life, right, where you, a long time ago, used to think something was right. And used to feel it to be true down in your gut. You knew it was right. But now, because of different life experiences, because of things that have changed in your life, because, because of whatever has happened, you now think that that thing that you used to thought, think was right, you now think it's wrong. And you believe it to be wrong, and you feel in your gut that it's wrong. And so if you went from believing it was right to wrong, in your gut, in your conscience, either you changed, 
or God did. And I don't think God did. So I don't think your conscience is set by God. Or maybe you felt it the other way, right? Where you were, uh, you, you had something that you did, some sin and brokenness, and the first time you did it, right, you felt really guilty about it. Then you did it again, and you felt a little less guilty, and then again, and again, and again, and now, maybe you don't feel guilty anymore. Has God all of a sudden decided that thing is no longer wrong? Or is it you? Is it you that has changed? Is it your conscience that has moved directions? I think we've also all had moments in our life where going with our gut led us down the wrong path. And I don't think God's the one who led us down the wrong path. I think it was us. For kind of a silly example of this, my favorite show is Survivor. Um, So light spoilers ahead for season 36, Ghost Island. Yes, I've seen all 40 seasons. Uh, But there is a woman on season 36 named Kellen. And she over and over again, every time she was interviewed, talked about how she was going to trust her gut. And she was going to go with her gut and believe her gut about what's to come in the game. And she really trusted her gut on her friend in the game, Wendell. And how, you know, Wendell's got my back. Wendell's got my back. I really trust my gut here. I know Wendell won't betray me. And of course, Wendell ended up betraying her. So should she have gone with her gut there? Probably not. For a little more weighty of an example... I think we've all seen, especially this last year, where people can believe very different things, believe opposite things. And if they're both being led by God, why would God do that? Of course he wouldn't. So maybe it's their conscience that's guiding them, themselves that are setting their conscience, not God. I want you to think back about six months ago when we're in the height of the pandemic, right? You probably had conversations like this. I had conversations like this where you spoke to one believer, great believer, great faith, has a great relationship with God, right? And you spoke to them, and and they believed deep down. They knew it to be true. They felt it in their gut that the right thing for them to do was wear a mask. And that same day, you probably spoke to someone, I know I did, who great believer, great faith, great relationship with God, and deep down in their gut, they knew the right thing for them to do was to not wear a mask. So was it God guiding them differently? Or was it themselves? No, it is not God that sets our conscience. We do. And if we're setting our conscience, that means our conscience cannot be 100% trusted because we are humans. And as humans, we are sinful and we are broken, right? We know brokenness entered into the world and it entered into our lives and our hearts too. God himself tells us this, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Now this is gonna sound weird because this verse is very negative speaking very, very negatively about humanity. But I love this verse. I think there's so much happening here and so many interesting aspects of this verse that I love this verse. One thing I want to point out is God is speaking poetically here. 
He's speaking using Hebrew parallelism, which was like the key marker of Hebrew poetry, where in English we use rhyme often to determine, rhyme and meter to determine what's poetic. They used Hebrew parallelism, where the second phrase would build on the first. And here God's using synonymous parallelism. So the second phrase echoes the first phrase. But he's going deeper than that because he doesn't just do it once, he does it twice. So the third phrase echoes the second and echoes the first. So it really drives home the point with that repetition. And what's the point? The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. But even more so, it is desperately wicked. And I'll go on. Who really knows how bad it is? Over and over, we hear about the evil and the wickedness and the deceitfulness of our own hearts. But what I find most interesting about this verse is this last phrase. Who really knows how bad it is? God is asking who knows how bad the heart is. Omniscient God is asking who could understand the wickedness of humanity. All-knowing God is asking this question, who could understand how bad humanity is? I can't even fully comprehend that in my brain, that God, an all-knowing God, is asking this kind of question. But what I think it means is that God, in his goodness, in his righteousness, in his perfection, cannot understand the evil and the brokenness and the sinfulness of humanity. Paul in the New Testament goes on to explain what happens when we follow our own wicked desires, when we follow our own sinful nature, what the results are. And he says they're very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Not a great list so far, but it goes on. Idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, and it goes on. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. See, Paul understood the wickedness of humanity. And he understood that it was so great that even a list of every sin Paul could think of, he knew he had to throw a catch-all at the end because he knew there'd be even more sins too. There'd be even more brokenness too. So he just throws on there and, and other sins too. So, if our conscience is controlled by us, whether consciously or subconsciously, if it's led by us and we are, we are uh, influenced by our own sinful nature and these are the results, should we then let our conscience be our guide? Should we go with our gut? No. But the good news is our conscience is not useless. It has a purpose. God gave us it for a reason. What the conscience is really good at is that when we start going astray, right, we can feel it that this isn't right. When we see something out in the world that is just wrong, right, we have a reaction. We can feel it. Our conscience is great at doing that. What our conscience is great at is being a tool we have, one tool we have to help us discern. 
What discernment is, is it's a fancy way of saying, helping us evaluate or determine or decide if what we're doing is right or wrong, if what we're seeing in the world is good or bad, if our course of action we're taking is wise or if it's unwise. Right? That's what discernment is, and our conscience is one tool we have to help us discern things. But it's one tool we have. It is not the be-all, end-all. We have so many others, too. Probably a list just as long as the list of sins Paul gave. Right? We have our conscience, but two, we have the Bible. We have what Scripture says. We have what God says. We have what God says about himself and about how we ought to live. And that can help us discern. We have what we hear when we come to church, whether it's, whether it's music, whether it's liturgy, whether it's prayers, whether it's messages, whether it's whatever it is. That can help us discern what's right, what's wrong. We have our own prayer time. That can help us discern. We have what we're hearing from other believers, not that they're perfect, no, they're influenced by their wickedness too, but when we come together with them and we have them and our conscience and the church and liturgy and scripture, we put all those things together, it can help us discern what is right, what is wrong, what is good, and what is wise. One of the best tools we have comes from scripture. It's this list that Paul gives after the last list. After he lists the, the results of our human nature, he lists the results of what happens when we let the Holy Spirit live through us, what the fruit in our lives will be, what the result is. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we see those things resulting, it can help us discern that maybe we're on the right path. But if we see that first list, if we see envy, if we see outbursts of anger, if we see idolatry, if we see any of those other things, maybe it can help us discern that that's not the wise way to go. So, should we let our conscience be our guide? No. Instead, let your Savior be your guide. Let Jesus be your guide. There's another silly phrase out there that maybe you've heard, maybe you've seen it, maybe you've even worn it on your wrist. It's WWJD. What would Jesus do? And I do, I do have some issues with this phrase, right? For, for example, what would Jesus do if he saw a blind man? Well, he'd probably take some mud, rub it on his eyes, and then the man would see. I can't really do that. What would Jesus do if he saw a sick girl? He would say, you are healed, and she would be. Not really in my abilities. And, and it's hard to interpret and figure out what Jesus would do in a 21st century world with 21st century technology and 21st century problems. But what I am pretty confident in is that whatever Jesus would do would result in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And I'm sure Jesus would fulfill his own teachings where he said the greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
I'm sure what Jesus would do would to be to fulfill his own command, where he said, a new command I give you, love one another. And so we can let that guide us, as opposed to just our conscience. And we can love, and we can do this because of what Jesus has done for us. John puts it this way, we love each other because he loved us first. Because Jesus has loved us, we can love. Because Jesus has forgiven us, we can forgive. Because Jesus has been gracious with us, we can show grace to others. We love because he first loved us. Yes, Jesus, the God who couldn't even comprehend the wickedness of humanity, chose to enter into humanity. He chose to become a human. But didn't stop there. He chose to literally take on all of humanity's sin, all of humanity's brokenness, all of humanity's wickedness, and die for it. And die for you, so that you might live. Yes, that God who conquered over the grave, conquered over sin, who conquered over death, he loves you. And so, we can let that love flow out of us and flow through us. And let that be our guide. So, should we let our conscience be our guide? Should we trust our gut and go with our gut instincts all the time? No. Instead, we can let our Savior be our guide. We can let Jesus be our guide. We can let the love of Jesus guide us. We can let the joy of Jesus guide us. The peace the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness of Jesus be our guide. Let us let the self-control of Jesus be our guide and let his love flow through us so that we love one another. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are amazed by who you are by how much you have loved us. God, we thank you that you chose to enter into our brokenness, the brokenness, the wickedness, the evil, the sin of this world, but not to stop there, but to take on that sin and that evil and that brokenness and to die for it so that we don't have to. God, we are so humbled by all you have done for us. God, in moments where we face hard decisions, where it is hard to discern what the next step is, where it is hard to decide if what we're doing is right or wrong, if we're acting in wisdom or not, remind us of all the tools we have, not just our conscience, but other people, the the songs we sing, the words we hear, the scripture you have given us. Let's be reminded of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Let us allow all of that to speak into those moments so we can best discern what the right course of action is. God, we thank you once again that you chose to die for us, that you chose to be gracious to us, so much so 
that we could be forgiven of all of our sins, all of our brokenness, all of our wickedness. In the hard moments in life, help us be reminded of that love and help that love to flow through us and flow out of us unto others. Help us to let our love for you and your love for us guide us more than anything else. We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.